Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 13. Let's share in these good words of God together. I give you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is my joy to be with you today. My name is Mark Foster, founding senior pastor here at Acts 2, and we are in the last Sunday before Christmas. And so, did you all know that Christmas is this Saturday? Like less than a week, it's, it's upon us. And I hope to see you on Friday night for Christmas Eve. It is one of my very favorite services of all the year. It's so beautiful. And I can't wait. I've always loved Christmas. Even as a little boy, I would try to stay up all night. I look forward to it every year. But not everybody does. Christmas can be very difficult um, for lots of folks, particularly those who have had loss this year. Matter of fact, a Pew Research Center uh, reported that roughly 1 in 20 Americans say that there is nothing, nothing about Christmas that they look forward to except for it to be over. That's the only thing they look for. Isn't that sad? I mean, 20% or what is that, 4%? Uh, math people, help me out here. It's five percent. Thanks, Noah, my son, the aeronautical engineer. Thanks for helping Dad out with the math there. All right, nothing. Can you imagine that? Nothing about Christmas that they look forward to other than it being over. Uh, another survey, this time by the American Addiction Center, found that nearly a third of men. Think about that. One out of three men, and twenty percent of women drink enough at Christmas Day where they can't remember it at all, which I think is the point, right? But, I mean, think about that. The folks, to celebrate Jesus, a third of men, 20% of women, where they, they have difficulty remembering the celebration at all. So this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, where churches all over the world come and we remember love, God's love in the person of Jesus, coming to us in baby Jesus. And as we begin our celebrations this week and as we close our sermon series, I want to say one more time, friends, have a decent Christmas. You know, let's be decent to one another. There's so much hate and hurt in the world. We can be decent to one another. And so we're in our our last week of this series, Have a Decent Christmas. And today we come to love and light. Will you say that with me? Love and light. That's who Jesus is and that's who we are to be as his followers. I love the way Dorothy Day puts it. She says, We have all known the long loneliness, and we have learned that the only solution is love, and that love comes with community. And that's why what we do here this morning is so important. What we'll do Friday um, on Christmas Eve is so important. What you'll do with your families um, as you come to celebrate Jesus coming to the world. But friends, here's the thing. The world will know the love and light of Jesus this Christmas if we have love for one another. That's what Jesus says in John 13. If we show love to one another, 
then the world will know. And the Bible is full of these if-then sentences, isn't it? If you'll do this, then I will do that. But so often on our Christian walk, we, we like to forget the first part, if. We just want the blessing on the back end. But this is the way it works. The world's only going to know about the love and light of Jesus if we show love to one another, if we show love to the world. And so to get up to, to this point uh, of the last three weeks, the first week we talked about hope over hate. Will you say that with me? Hope over hate. And one of the reasons that's so important is because hate hurts both those who receive it and those who carry it. Hate is a, it's been said that hate is a poison in which we drink in hopes of hurting someone else. And that's what hate does to us. It just tears us up from the inside out. The second week we looked at peace over perfection. And the temptation is to have the perfect Christmas. But friends, you know that's not possible. There's no perfect Christmas. Even the first original Christmas was in an outbuilding. There's no perfect Christmas. Your family doesn't need you to be perfect. They need you to be present. Amen? They don't need you to be perfect. Just show up to be present. And, and, I, and what that probably means for most of us is that we check our phone at the door when we come in so we can be fully present with one another. You don't have to be perfect. Just be present. And then last week we looked at joy over judgment because judgment and joy cannot coexist. And you know what? Neither can hope and hate. And neither can peace and perfection. You have to choose. If you try to have the perfect Christmas, you won't have peace. If you're eaten up with hate, it takes away your hope. And if you're a person of judgment, you'll have no joy. Now, just think about that. Now, I know everybody's a mixed bag. We're all broken in some way, public or private. But here's, here's the thing. Think about it in your own life. When you have seen yourself or felt yourself or remember yourself being judgmental about someone else, Do you sense any joy there for you? No. They are mutually exclusive. You have to choose joy over judgment, peace over over perfection, and hope over hate. And what that allows us to do is if, if if we do those things, then we can become love and light. And Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. And so for the next few minutes, we are going to look at what does this mean? What did, how did Jesus love us exactly? How did he love his disciples? What does this love of God look like? Well, hopefully you know this by now. It looks exactly like Jesus. Jesus is the perfect representation, the very imprint of the love of God for the world. That's why he came, that you would know that he loves you. And he loves everybody else that you're not ready to love yet. He loves them too. And so perhaps you know this, for the God so loved the world... Now, world there, friends, in the Greek is cosmos. And so you can read that as cosmos and think about the cosmos of Jesus' day. That was Rome, right, that had their, their foot on the neck of the Jewish people. So God so loved those who did not even love him back. God so loved those who were not even a part of the faith. God so loved the world. Notice it doesn't say God loved the church people. It doesn't say God loved the good people. It doesn't say God loved those who showed up for Sunday after their business party. It is the world. It's the world. And if you did show up after your business party, good for you. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But, but Jesus didn't come to die for that. He came so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. No. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That we would actually have the ability and, and the opportunity to know and share and live in the love and the power of God. So what does this love look like? Well, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus fed the hungry. 
That's what he did. He did it all the time. Wherever he, that's partly why the multitudes followed him is because he was feeding them. He would, he would care for them. And he would do it thousands at a time sometimes. Now, the gospel say it like this. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. This is some 5,000 men uh, and then some women and children. So maybe ten or 15,000 people. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what are we going to do? He says, what do you mean? We, you give them something to eat. And then I, I mean, their eyes must have gotten this big like, what? How are we going to give them something to eat? We, we have nothing here. Which, by the way, is what we all say when Jesus asks us to do something. Isn't it? Jesus says, I want you to do this. And we're like, eh, we really don't have enough to do that, Jesus. As if he doesn't know. And they replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves, two fish. He looked up to him and he blessed it. He asked God to get involved. And he broke the loaves. And he gave them to his friends, the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And what do you know? All ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces. Twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men plus women plus children. Growing up, I would hear my dad preach this sermon, and he says, you know, the the miracle is not like, you know, self-rising bread. The miracle is that when we live into God's will, our own generosity is bringing heaven to earth. Because when, when the people sat down, you know, in these little groups, you know what happened? Part of it was actually shame because they saw the little boy give the, the loaves and the fish. And when they sat down, like, oh, here, you want the fish? You know what happened? They're like, well, I actually do have something. Right? I actually do have some food on me. And so did the next person. So did the next person. They just weren't willing to share yet. So Jesus opened their eyes. Jesus, as love and light, opened their eyes. And there were 12 baskets left over. They had more food than they knew what to do with, which is the same for us today. We got more stuff than we know what to do with. But there are people who don't. One of the great joys of my life as your pastor is to watch you all get involved in really important ministries throughout the community like Edmund Mobile Meals. Um, one of our members is, is the president of that organization currently. We've, for years, we've had people cook those meals. We've had groups that go and they deliver those meals. Uh, we have folks uh, raising money for those meals. And, and as a church, we give thousands of dollars each year to Edmund Mobile Meals. I got a letter saying thank you, which is one of the joys of my job. I get all these thank you letters for the things you do. It's kind of a neat deal for me. Um, and it said this, it says, together, we will make sure that no senior in Edmond goes hungry. I mean, that's quite a statement. And they do. And they do. I want you to think about this. There are people just within a few miles of us that all of their family has passed. It's just them. And they don't have a way to feed themselves. They don't have anybody checking on them. Except for Edmond Mobile Meals. When Chantel and I drove um, for Edmund Mobile Meals, uh, we've done this a couple times in diff- different settings. One of the things we found out was for some families, the only way they know someone passed is because the Edmund Mobile Meals driver noticed that they didn't pick up their meal from the day before. I mean, that's loneliness. And you are making a difference there. Last year in 2020, Edmund Mobile Meals served more than 53,000 meals. To anyone who needed it. There's no like form you have to fill out. Just, do you need a meal? And if you say yes, you're going to get a meal in our town. I love that about our town. To homebound elderly and disabled folks in Edmond. That's what love does. Love eats with sinners. It doesn't hold it to itself. It doesn't hold it to its small group or circle of friends. It goes out into the world. That's what love does. That's what Jesus did. He ate with sinners. 
Uh, It's recounted like this in the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw Levi, who we call Matthew uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, Jesus did. And he got up and followed him as he sat at dinner in Levi's house. Whoa, you can't do that as a rabbi. You, You can't eat with tax collectors and sinners. They were also sitting there with Jesus and his disciples. For these, there there were many who followed him. Now, Jesus knew when he did this that that was going to be a problem. The religious so-and-sos of his time were going to be really arguing about him and, and being upset with him because he was breaking their rules. Not God's rules, their rules, the ones that they had set. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors those who were in cahoots with Rome, they said to his disciples, why does he do that? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Will you read this last line with me? I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. And that's why we open every service here. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Because that's who God came to love in Jesus. This love in Jesus, it connects us, it unifies us, and it risks being misunderstood. That was true for Jesus, it'll be true for you. It just is. And I don't, I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes it happens to me. Uh, God will call me to something. I'll have this sort of nudge uh, on my shoulder and be like, Mark, you know, I want you to do this. And then I'll have different thoughts, like one, I'm not sure I have time for that, uh, or two, I don't know if I have the resources that. And sometimes it's if I do that, I'm going to take it on the head. There are going to be people that won't understand that. And, and it's just going to be a beating. There are just going to be people that are upset with me because I'm doing what God's asking me to do. And that's going to be true for you too. It just is. It's always been that way. Sometimes when you do the very thing God asks you to, particularly religious folks won't understand it. You know, I don't get much feedback or blowback from folks that aren't church people. Isn't that weird? You know, I've never gotten a hateful email from somebody who doesn't go to church. I got plenty from folks who do. Isn't that weird? Jesus is on to something. We ought to listen to him. Richard Ward says it like this. God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. We are to be people who are different because we've been embraced by the power of love, by the grace of God. And Jesus, in case we missed it, on his very last prayer in his life, it's for us to express unity, not uniformity. Unity in love, blessing for one another so that the world might know that Jesus has come, that his love is real. And so in this prayer, Jesus says it like this. He says, I ask that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be what? one unity as we are one i and them and you and me that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me that's what love does it unifies it unifies and this i think is the most important thing to jesus because it's the last thing he prayed before he went to the cross this is what he asked the disciples it's what he asked of us so that if you have a disagreement this christmas with your family about something It's not as important as that. It's more important that we forgive and that we stay unified and we listen and we bless than we blow up because we disagree on politics or something else. 
The same Jesus that talked about unity and prayed for it to happen was the same love of compassion and mercy. And Jesus showed this over and over and over again. And again, the religious folks, they were not happy about Jesus, and they were trying to trap him. And so they did something unconscionable to me. They actually bring a woman who had been caught in adultery, and they made her stand basically in the public square before all of them. And, and they did this not because of her, but because they wanted to trap Jesus. And they said to him, Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? And they knew Jesus was a person of compassion, love, and mercy. So they thought they had him, like, oh, we're going to get him now. And so they said this to test him, the scripture says, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And when they kept on questioning, like, that wasn't enough. Right? They, Jesus was giving them an opportunity to, like, save face and move on, like, guys... You know this is wrong. I know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. She knows it's wrong. Like, what are you doing? But when they kept on questioning him, he strained up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Nobody did. But they weren't. They hadn't left yet either. They're watching to see what would happen. So, Jesus, once again, he bends down. And he wrote on the ground. Now, that's where your Bible and mine will probably stop. But if you look at the footnote, you'll see that there's a lot of other texts that came right after this that wrote down that next line. Read it with me. The sins of each of them. Imagine that. All these religious so-and-sos that wanted everybody to think that their life was perfect. They, they walk over and like, what is, what is Jesus writing? They're like, ooh, never mind. I'm going to go. Because Jesus is busy writing like Bob steals stuff, right? Peter, um, you know, slept with this guy's wife who's over there. I mean, they were just like, I'm out. Like, I don't, I don't want anybody to know my sin. I just want to beat up on her. And so I think that's one. I just love. And so when Jesus stands up and there's nobody around, I think Jesus is kind of like, yeah, that's right. You know it, I know it. And when they heard it, they went away. Yeah, they did. One by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus straightened up, and he said to her, where are they? Where are they? And then I think with, you know, a smile on his face, he goes, has no one condemned you? She said, no. No one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Now, when I preach this sermon in, in full, if that's the only scripture we were using, sometimes after the service, I'll have people say to me, um, folks that struggle uh, with being judgmental, they will say to me something like, well, you know, Jesus was really honored to say, don't sin again, as, as if the entire tone flipped for the last line. That doesn't make any sense, does it? No, what Jesus is saying is, hey, hey, listen. I'm really glad this worked out for us. But if you do this again and I'm not here, they'll kill you. Like, this is dangerous for you. You hear the, the difference, the compassion and the mercy, and like, hey, like, yeah, don't do this. But it's not, he's not wagging his finger at her. He's like, look, hon, this is not smart. You, we got out of it this time. Thanks be to God. I don't know what will happen next time. That's the love of God for people. What else did Jesus do? Well, Jesus prayed. He prayed for unity. He prayed to his father. He prayed for the kingdom to come. What else did Jesus do? Well, he forgave. He forgave. And, and he didn't just forgive when it was easy. He forgave at the most difficult times that you could imagine. 
on the cross. Jesus said, while hanging from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I love that we have a cross right in the center of our worship. We always have, and I pray we always will. Because the cross represents humans at their worst and God at his best. My friend Craig Fenestead uh, said that. Uh, by the way, this photo was taken like 20 years ago. And he looks like a, a young, young guy. He's great. He's up in Omaha. But think about that. The cross represents humans at their worst and God at his very best. And so Jesus is, invites us into that way of life. As I have loved you, you love one another. So Jesus invites us into his way of life. And Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We say it every week in the Apostles' Creed. That's what Jesus does. So when the Son of Man, it's a name that Jesus uses for himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate people from one for another, shepherd as they do the goats. And he'll put the sheep at his right hand, the goats at his left. And then the king, Jesus, the good king, will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and he gave me food. Yeah, that's what Jesus does. I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink. Yep, that's what love does. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Because prison at that time, if you didn't come visit your friend, they would starve to death. Because they didn't feed you in prison in Jesus' day. They didn't take care of you in prison. They didn't bring you clothes in prison. It's a very different system. Then the righteous will answer him, the king. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, gave you food, thirsty, gave you something to drink? When was it we saw you stranger and welcomed you or, or welcomed you? And gave you clothing. And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And King Jesus will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. So friends, when we walk through our life, these are the things that are important to Jesus. That's what love does. We feed people because Jesus feeds people. We care for people because Jesus cares for people. That's who he is. That's what we do. But it's not in some rigid system that you have to get in the box. I love the way Bob Goff says it. He says it like this. Every day, God invites us on an adventure. It's not a trip where he sends us a rigid itinerary. He simply invites us. Come, live with me. I'll show you what to do next. It's a beautiful way to live. That's what love does. Well, what does light do? Love and light, they go together. And I I wanted you to get this right off the bat. Light doesn't work really hard to be light. It's not something that they grit their teeth and like, I'm going to be light today. It just is. Light is light. Jesus is light, and in him is no darkness at all, the scriptures teach us. And so what does light do? Well, it reveals things, and it uncovers things. In the Christmas Eve service, we'll read this scripture. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's just what happens. Light repels evil. It's what it does. And so sometimes when you do what the Lord asks you to do, people will simply disappear out of your life. They just do. Because the light of Christ is in you, and the light, it repels the darkness. It just does. And there will be some people that simply are not willing to be in that light because they want to continue their life as it is. And you don't even have to be judgmental. You don't even have to say anything. It's just when you're there, it makes them uncomfortable. The scripture says this, for all who do evil hate the light. They just do. And do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed because they're afraid 
that if they're around you, if they're around the light of Christ, that they'll be found out. So they can't be there. Now, the great theologian Ariana Grande (laughs) said this. She said, the light is coming to give back everything the darkness stole. Now, that's a great Advent song, right? Some of you know this song. It is not a Christmas song. It is not an Advent song. But that's the thing about light. It seeps in everywhere. It starts to make the, the difference, the man-made difference between sacred and secular start to disappear. Because the light of Christ can go anywhere. We don't determine where the light and love of God goes. It just goes. When it's light, it's light. And every once in a while, I love this, when, when music that we don't think of as, as Christian or of God um, starts to say the very things of God. The light is coming to give back everything the darkness. So that's what Christmas Eve is all about. That the light is coming into the world to redeem that which has been stolen from our earth. And this light, it brings clarity. It lets us see things clearly. In John 3, it says this, Those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. If you're doing the things of God, you don't mind if anybody sees. You're not doing them so they do see. You just, it's okay if they do, if they don't. It doesn't make you any difference because it's your character and it's what you're doing. Now, I want to make a, a quick distinction here. If there's someone in our church that needs help, and we help them, and we do all the time, you'll never know about it. It's important because you would never want to shame or burden someone and let them know. You would never want to get praise on the back of someone else. Does that make sense? And that's why Jesus says when you do your almsgiving, you don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. So you never do that. But on the flip side, we close every service here is let your light shine before others that they may what? See your good works. So they give glory to God in heaven. That's important too. So it depends on, on what you're doing and how you're doing it. So this light, it creates a way forward and it displays the truth of our situation. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is the love and light of Christ. It's truth. And sometimes that truth is hard. The truth in Oklahoma is that one in four children struggles with food insecurity on a daily basis in our state. One in four kids. Unfortunately, our public school system pick up a lot of that slack. And then the kids go hungry on the weekends. And, and I want you to know that there are children in our own town just a few miles from here that you feed. You don't know that you feed them, but you do. You feed them every Saturday all the way through the pandemic. There are places here, even in Edmond, that we feed kids every day. Every day. There's 22 locations through the YMCA. And sometimes people wonder, like, why, why does our church support the YMCA so much? We give more than $10,000 to the YMCA. Why do we do that? Because they served more than 131,000 meals to children last year. They are the primary place that kids get fed outside of the school system. Do you know that? Yes, we take care of the elderly, 53,000 meals there, but then another 131,000 meals each year. Right down the street at Coffee Creek Apartments every Saturday without fail. The Rankin YMCA across town, the Northside Y, just south of here, downtown YMCA, and Guthrie Upper Elementary, just north of here. And these are just some of the places you might know, but there's 22 locations, actually. And you do that. You don't know that you do that, but that's what you do, bringing light in the world, feeding hungry kids. And there's also the truth about the inequalities of our world. It includes our neighbors in our own country. 
And so this year, I'm so excited, we get to go back to service over self, and our youth group goes, and they spend a week putting roofs on homes um, that are basically unlivable because they're cold and they leak. And last year, we weren't able to go because of the pandemic, and so the director, our our kids, decided uh, with their own money that they had access to, to go ahead and give the money that they would have spent had they gone. And this is the response from the director of Service Over Self in Memphis, Tennessee. Here he is. Last year in 2020, we were still able to repair uh, over 30 homes in our partner neighborhoods. And uh, this year in 2021, we're on track to repair just about as many homes in neighborhoods like Binghampton, the Heights, and Orange Mound, which I'm actually right here in Binghampton Park, uh, where many of you have spent a Friday afternoon at the end of camp celebrating all that God has done. Uh, And so just want to say thank you. Your gift uh, is allowing us to continue in our mission of making homes warmer, safer, and drier for families here in Memphis, all as a way to tangibly proclaim the gospel and to, to help Hopefully, all of us see more of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So, thanks again. We love you guys. Appreciate the support. And we hope to see you and serve with you all again sometime soon. Take care. And he will this June. Our kids get up on the roof. Haley's here, I think. I think that's you. Yeah. Nice pants. You got your pink pants there. So, she's the one on the left. And it's a a life-changing deal. So, we do that work here locally. We do this work in our country And then Jesus gives us a new definition beyond locality that whoever does the will of the Father is your brother and your sister. That's it. You want to know who you're really connected to in the kingdom of God? It's whoever does God's will. So it says in Matthew 12, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is what Jesus says. And so I was thrilled to see in very real ways my brothers and sisters, thousands of miles away in Guatemala last week. When we got there, the whole village came out, and they began digging the trenches so that we could do the well. And, and this is what they said when we got there, people we'd never met before. La estructura del pozo que ustedes vienen a hacer. And on behalf of the community of the association, they want to thank you for your help. Um, they are a vulnerable community that they don't have access to the, uh, to the water. And they are thankful that this project is about to happen now. So we got to work together. They did what they could do. We did what we could do. And then as we were getting people to come around and learn about hygiene so that they could actually save children's lives, there was a little woman, 68 years old, named Sixta. And she invited us into her hut. No walls at all. Uh, She and her husband, uh, they'd been uh, basically afforded this land that they could pay back to the government over 12 years. Um, And then she was just showing us around. And then she was like, sit down, sit down. They had carved chairs out of these trees. And this is is her. This is what she said. So they came over here to video just to... Talking now, they're inviting us for lunch. They already gave us a snack. (laughs) So they just asked us if we like chicken. So that's the way the morning goes. And uh, here is my snack and my coffee. And so, uh, really just delightful people. And... uh, It's a great blessing to be here. It is the most beautiful and terrifying thing when they say, sit down and have a meal. Because you know you're there because they don't have clean water. 
and you know that if you eat that meal, there's a good chance you're not going to be feeling so good in a day or two. She said, do you like chicken? And in our, in our you know, conversation, we don't think anything about it. Friends, when we got there, they had about 15 chickens. When we left, there were two. Think about that. They gave everything they had so that they could be a good host to us. And they had real needs. I mean, there's a 20-day-old baby that was right there. And, and the work that we do there uh, very likely will save that child's life. And there were lots of other kids around as well. Um, the, the little girl on the right is about 12. And um, she's sort of the matriarch of her little clan there. And um, her name is Natalie. Now, so Sixta and Natalie, they're kind of a, a pair. And um, this community was brand new. It's only about three years old. And they were trying to survive. Um, they went into drought season and completely ruined their crops. And they are on the verge of starving to death. And Sixta said, you know, our God is faithful. Our God is good. And I want you to give me money and supplies so that we give them to the church. There's 30 families. And these 30 families took what they could do and they built this church. That's their church. Just three-side open air. And on the other side of that wall now is a well. And so I was working on the well, and uh, one of the people on our team came over, and they said, Mark, we need you to, we need you to come over here. Um, and normally when people say that to me, it's not good news. So I come over, and there's Natalie with this. She and those little kids had gathered what they could, and They went around the community and they got enough money so that they could buy this for me. Someone they'd met less than, you know, 36 hours before. This might be the most expensive gift I've ever received in terms of someone's percentage of their income. So I will cherish it the rest of my life. It'll sit in my office right there in front of my books. And I hope that when people say, what is that? I'll be able to tell them the story of Natalie and her love. Her great love because she's my sister because she does the will of the Father. And before you, you, know, before you think this is just about me, no, they, then they got Vernon and they brought John and then they brought Jenny. and they, I mean, every person in our group, gift after gift after gift because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. So this light and love, it brings life, real life. You'll hear people say that, you know, the, the mission trips, you know, we do some good for them, but we're really the ones that are blessed. That's absolutely right. You'll never know that kind of love. It's just, it's unspeakable. People that don't know you at all. And Jesus says to them, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, why does this matter? Because this Christmas, this work that we're a part of, it is just one chapter in a much larger story. It's the beginning of our story. Christmas and Easter, they're the bookends of our faith. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, says it like this. He says, being a Christian is less about cautiously doing, avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Friends, our faith is so much more than not doing anything wrong. It just is. I mean, if you don't do anything wrong, so what? It still means you did nothing. It's bigger than that. Right? It's courageously and actively doing God's will. And you're part of that. I want you to know that. So our action step for this week is I hope that you will give $1 more to Jesus this Christmas than you spend on yourself. It's his birthday. 
And that will require you to kind of think about, okay, well, what, are, what have we spent as a family? Uh, Chantel and I did that on our drive to Tulsa back. We were doing a wedding, and um, I spent more than I meant to on Christmas. So uh, mission offer is going to be great from the foster family. And the other thing is this, friends. Light is not meant to shine at noonday brightness. You have to take it out into the darkness. That's where it transforms. And we want to pour our love into the world. To really pour it into the world. To people that do and don't know Jesus. Why do we do this? To experience love and joy this Christmas. We can't self-isolate. We go out and we do the work. And we're the ones blessed when we do it. We come and we worship together. And we're blessed when we do it. So I want you to come to Christmas Eve. And because we know that now then less than half of our population have any sort of faith development or church home. It's a perfect time for you to say to someone outside your family, hey, will you come to Christmas Eve candlelight with me? You change their life forever. You might be that light and love that they need. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.